0: to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up. This podcast is supported by our friends at Bank Australia. If you didn't know, Bank Australia is a 100% customer-owned, responsible bank. Its purpose is to create mutual prosperity for its customers, the communities they live in, and the planet we all live on.
1: Hi, I'm Jane Nethercote from Dumbo Feather magazine, and you're listening to the Dumbo Feather podcast, a monthly series where we chat with inspiring, thought-provoking guests who are doing their bit to make the world better. Recently our editor and publisher Barry Lieberman had the chance to chat with Missy Higgins, the singer-songwriter whose music has been the soundtrack to so many of our lives, Australian accent and all. We loved hearing from Missy about finding her way back to music after depression and just how hard it is to write a decent protest song.
0: When you started singing, I think we we're about the same age, and I heard you on the radio and everyone was starting to play your music and My first reaction was cringe, that Australian accent that I could hear (laughs) and I was reflecting on it today because that was really my my feeling that you sounded like me on the radio. Like I I could hear myself on the radio which was an awkward and uncomfortable feeling. Mm. And it took me personally a really long time to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And you seem to have had access to that so young.
2: Mm. How come? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's completely right because I, I definitely had my fair bunch of insecurities <laughs> that I was dealing with. Um, it may have been more defiance than anything because... Um, Well, I mean, I was listening to a lot of Australian music at the time. I was listening to the Waifs, who were a big influence on me, and they sung in Australian accents. And um, something for Kate I really loved, and they had Australian accents as well. Um, So I I wasn't being, um, I don't know, a a complete individual. But at the same time, I did know that it was not what was usually on the radio. And... um, I think, yeah, part of that was defiance, and also I had a I had an English producer for my record, and he thought that my Australian accent was really grating. <laughs> he was trying to kind of get me to to pare it back a little bit during the recording, and I was and and in my head I was like, "Fuck you! I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go really ocker now." So um, and I listened back to that recording, and I'm like, "Oh God, you just you overdid it a little bit, Missy." <laughs> Can you give, um, just a flavour, just a, just a
0: moment? Can you remember the moment? When you had that the special
2: two. <laughs> so when I sing my own, my, my, the songs from that album now, I, I just can't help but do it and like, just parody myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, actually I think I have toned down the accent over the years because maybe I don't feel so defiant and maybe oh. I'm just kind of a bit more comfortable in my skin. I don't really judge anymore. I've, I've been through phases in my life where I've just been so embarrassed by some of my early work and really resented having to sing them at concerts. <laughs> um, but now I, I can appreciate that it was a certain time in my life and because of that I am where I am now. And they also, they're a diary entry of that time, you know, and they, they tell a story from back then. And um, it's... a uh, it's really interesting. I mean, I can, I can look at those songs just as I can look at my younger self um, with fondness. Um, but it's taken a while to get there.
0: It, um, it made me think of another thing, which was maturation, especially when you grow with an artist. So you were in the soundtrack of our lives at, at the same time, reflecting kind of growth, life, changes, transitions, and I was, in my mind today, I was thinking Amy Winehouse versus Missy Higgins, and um, not versus, like, in a wrestling match, but um, um, being normal versus tortured and tormented. You seem to have taken your creative life along a journey from, say, insecurity and defiance Mm -hmm. and being a young woman claiming your voice to, to this time in your life where you're writing really different music. And you're pretty grounded in a real life, which mm-hmm. to a lot of artists is like the death of creativity.
2: I think when I was younger, um, I definitely did rely on, um, yeah, having a very dysfunctional love life <laughs> and, um, and being um, in the middle of like a state of flux all the time, trying to figure out who I was and where I stood in the middle of everything. And... Um, what defined me and um, I used all of that in my songwriting and for a long time I thought that I needed that to write songs and to create art. And it's, yeah, it is interesting now because, uh, you know, I've been through a lot. I've been through a really depressed time in my life for a few years there where I couldn't write at all. And then when I got out of that, I suddenly found like I, I had all this... Um, inspiration and I had all this energy and that just showed me that I didn't, I absolutely didn't need to be depressed to write mm-hmm. songs. In fact, it was the complete opposite and the, the more um, stable I felt, um, the more that I had, yeah, a really, um, a still centre, the more that I was able to figure out what was going on in my head and therefore, you know, express myself. Whereas when I was in the middle of all that kind of turmoil, yeah, it was like being in the middle of a tornado and, and everything's going too fast around you for, you for you to actually grab anything to write about it or to, to express yourself. It's, it's, just, it's all too much. And so when I got out of that, I found like, oh, I can get, yeah, I can get stillness and I can get perspective and, and it's okay to be happy and it's okay to feel like I have everything I need and, and that's okay. I don't have to feel like a sense of lack in order to create art or a sense of insecurity. And now having a being married and having a child, it's kind of, I was saying the other day like I'm really happy and I'm not going, I haven't been through a breakup for a long time and so I'm writing, I'm writing for my new album, I'm like what the hell am I going to write about? Um, And so my, yeah, the material that I'm writing about is really different. It's much less about me and what, and, you know, the process of trying to figure out who I am and what's going on. It's more it's more about, I guess, the world outside of myself because it's suddenly not so interesting to, you know, navel gaze the whole time. It's funny
0: in a way I feel like the fantasies rob us of our real creativity because you have to get through that phase to outward looking
2: yeah and there's something so nice about um kind of feeling secure in yourself and feeling as though you've got yeah like a stable place to to experiment with going to those darker places but knowing you've got a light place to come back to I've got plenty of experiences to draw on from my from the dark years of my youth but it's nice to know that I can yeah, I can, I can come back to something light and stable and real at the end of the day. What got you out of the dark? Medication. Hmm. Um, that was a big part of it because I'd been on medication for depression for qu- quite a long time and then I decided to go off it as I did um, sporadically. And I went off it yeah, for a few years and, and I felt fine for maybe a year or two and then it kind of slowly started to creep up on me, the depression. And so I kind of, I went on a bit of a mission to get myself out of it because I, everything I read was like, um, you can be happy if you really want to be happy, you know. You can, it's all about inner strength and, um, you know, meditation and exercise and kale juice. Um, LAUGHTER And, uh, and it's all a choice. Happiness is a choice, you know. That was, that was, like, my mantra. And so, ultimately, that made me feel, like, really weak because if I wasn't able to make myself happy, then what was wrong with me, you know. So, I went on a big search around, literally around the world. I went to India, which is such a cliche. Um, (laughs) and, uh... And then, uh, and I came back and I, I yeah, I, qu- I quit music mm-hmm. and I went to university and, and did all this stuff. And I had some great experiences, but there was this real hollowness inside of me because I didn't, um, I wasn't happy and I wasn't, uh, and, and music wasn't bringing me any sort of happiness anymore. And, mm-hmm. and that was really hard. So yeah, I decided to go back on the medication and, and I also decided to uh, start ...kind of throwing myself back into playing live again... ...and I agreed to go to America and play on this Lilith Fair tour... ...which is Sarah McLachlan's all-female tour. And yeah, something about that um, incredible tour... and, ...and all the women involved in that... ...and the fans that came to those shows. And I spoke with a lot of them afterwards and they were just so supportive and I don't know something about hearing their stories and what my music had meant to them Mm. was really humbling and I realised that I owed it to other people and owed it to my fans to keep on doing music because it was meaning something to some people. So um, that was more than I could do in any other field I think in my life so I decided that maybe music was what I was meant to do. I was listening
0: today um, to your song for your son which is actually my favourite song of yours. And it feels like your best is yet to come. You know, that thing, especially mm-hmm. as, a, as a woman, as a mother, as an artist, thinking that you're hitting your, you'll hit your peak mm-hmm. and then we're done. Yeah. And that was great and mm-hmm. you've rung it all dry. Whereas yeah. it used to be that we would get to mastery. You know, we would live with artists in our communities and we would be with them over time and we would all get old together and you would sing the song of our lives to us and it felt like that to me today listening to you. The lyrics were, the nightmares won't stop, where I can't find you. I've left you alone in the dark. Mm. And I was like, that's a motherhood nightmare. Literally. Leah.
2: Yeah. Do you you have those dreams? Because I have them regularly where Mm. I can't, I wake up and I can't, find Sammy anywhere and or, or I leave him like I, I close the door to my house and I've locked the keys in and he's in there or I'm I leave him on a river bank and I dive into the water and the, the river takes me downstream and suddenly I can't get back to him and uh, it's constant I have that, that anxiety all the time and somehow I'd, sometimes I say to myself was it worth it you know, bringing something into the world that you love so much and you care about so much when it's, there's so much to lose, you know. I had that experience pregnant <clears throat> with my first child. I was heavily
0: pregnant and it was all game on, about to happen. And mm. I went, hang on a second. Nobody told me that they're going to come out and then it'll be me and this kid and together. And Nobody that... told you that they come out? <laughs> They well, essentially your told me it was abstract, you know, <laughs> and, and then that, um, that their love would be their responsibility and that it would be there and it would be mm-hmm.
2: like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think any parent would realistically say that they would take it back, you know, because the love so much outweighs the anything else, any other feeling of fear. But coming back to the... Just the work and, and motherhood thing. I, I feel like we're pretty lucky to live in an age now where um, females are getting much closer to being on equal par with with males. You know, in, in the workforce and and our um, the the freedoms that are expected of us. And the, and I don't know. I, I feel as though artists now, like female artists now are feeling like they can actually bring a child into the world and continue to do what they do. I feel like maybe in our parents' generation, female artists wouldn't, wouldn't have dared have a child because it, it would have been the death of their, their work because they had no support. And um, and you really need that support <laughs> in order to write and in order to create. Um, I, um, I had this great quote that you quoted
0: to yourself, so I'll just quote you back to yourself. You were interviewed, you said I would tell my younger self it's okay to be a strong woman. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering what would you tell your son?
2: Um, That it's okay to be a soft man. (laughs) Mm. And uh, I'm hoping to try and raise a little feminist in my son.
0: I just I brought it up because your beautiful husband, Dan, is here and I could tell from the two of you that there's that connection, that support and that strength that, that is in the partnership, is in the coupling, and that's mm-hmm. very lucky when that happens and it's to yeah. be treasured, but it also means your son sees that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that's so important, I think, for little boys to see is their, um, their fathers being... Um, respectful and caring to their mothers and and treating them as equals and um, the way that Dan speaks, we've become really aware of it now, you know, like the way that Dan speaks to me and the way that I speak back to him and even the way we speak to the dog, we're realising now that Sammy's noticing all of it, you know, and and, um, Sammy's just taking in every little bit of information about, oh, this is how you treat that personal, this is how, you know, this is how you treat the dog or so we have to, it's almost like now we have to be even um, better people (laughs) than we were, (sighs) stressful.
0: Um, Thinking about that, we were having this great conversation before about how once you are settled and once you are okay and once you have returned to your art and you think Mm -hmm. about where am I, where am I speaking from and speaking about that that can be hard to say what you need to say in your music and to express yourself when Mm -hmm. A, you feel like you might not know a lot about certain topics. Mm -hmm. But I found that really moving in your song, Oh Canada. It's a very moving film clip. I cried a lot today. um, And because it's a tribute to Aylin Kurdi, the Syrian toddler who drowned while trying to get to Canada with his family on a small boat in 2015. So what was it like writing the song? Yeah, well,
2: we would yeah, we were talking just earlier about I get I guess I get nervous doing these things because I don't want anyone to expect that I have any answers or that I have any authority over anything because I'm just figuring it all out as I go like anybody else is. But um as far as writing that song goes, it was a really hard process. My son was only um i don 't know four or five months old at the time, I think and um, and so I saw that the picture of the, this this little Syrian boy, Ellan, who was doing the rounds um, in the media and uh, and I saw that, and I just immediately literally just collapsed and didn 't stop crying for a really long time. I just felt really, really helpless, and I thought. The only thing I can do is is what I do, and that's write a song um and you know the the thing that is going to make the most difference right now is to to really personalize these people and to to make them um just like all of us relatable and it it's such a universal uh feeling of, of just wanting to protect your family and wanting your, your family to be safe at all costs. Um, so I kind of did a bit of research about their journey and the, this family's um, uh, kind of yeah desire to, to reach other family that they had in Canada. And um, I imagine the father kind of standing on the boat just praying that Canada would let them in (laughs) would open up her arms and towards the sea and let them in. And um, and I just thought, yeah, I don't I don't want to preach anything. I don't want to tell anybody what to do or what's right or what's wrong. I think just telling the story alone is enough. And um, that's something that I've thought about a lot over the years is how do you how do you write a song that can create social change without Uh, without preaching and and without making people feel as though you're judging them. I think that's the only thing you can do is just tell stories.
0: I think it's really um, compelling. Uh, Watch the film clip if you haven't because all the illustrations that the film clip is made from are drawings from actual refugee children when they were asked to illustrate their experience. What's interesting about the way you've just talked about constructing the song and how to get across the feelings or really how to get across the empathic response mm-hmm. is how do we talk to the other? Mm-hmm. And so I was interested to know what the response you've had to the song and do you think it will move people who are afraid of refugees to feel something just by
2: absorbing the story? Well, I have no idea, but you can only hope, you know. Um, the, the reaction has been pretty amazing. Um, I think the film clip especially because of the children's drawings. And um, the amazing thing about children, you know, is that there's no pretense there. They're just, their drawings are so rudimentary and so innocent. And when you see them drawing things like, you know, their parents on the ground with, in pools of blood or fighter planes going in the sky dropping bombs, you know, that's just so heartbreaking because it's so, it's so honest. Um, and and so real. So the family, the Curdy family, got in touch. Wow. And um, which just blew my mind because it, it actually didn't ever occur to me that they might hear it. And so the auntie who lived in Canada, who's kind of been the spokesperson for the family, got in touch with me and said, uh, she actually wanted to th- to apologize because there'd been some false reporting that Um, she and um, Abdullah, the father, um, were offended by the song and she said that wasn't at all the case. It was completely taken out of context. They were offended by something else that was unrelated. (laughs) Um, And she was just so angry at the media and so disillusioned and wanted to touch base and say that they were really moved by the song and, and that Abdullah had said that you know, I'd spoken the truth. And so that uh, yeah, that was really amazing to hear. And so moving and made the whole thing feel uh, really worth it, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, They're pretty high stakes. um, Taking your music in this direction. How do you feel about mistakes? The stakes or mistakes? Mm -hmm. Oh, either. Um, How do you feel about the stakes? That's a good one. That's better than my one. Mistakes, like I'm <laughs> sure you're fine with. We'll just edit that
2: one out of the no, podcast. No, that's good. To keep
0: you, it so in because so we're good with mistakes. <laughs> um, the stakes are really high. We're watching real life mm. happen in the world at the moment, and
2: yeah, um, I've I have been writing a lot about uh, what's going on at the moment, and and well, to be honest, a lot of it, a lot of what I'm writing about is to do with climate change and I've always been kind of, uh, I've considered myself an environmentalist but for some reason uh, having a child was this, it it suddenly dawned on me that now I've brought this thing into the world that is going to live beyond me (laughs) and I'm really, I really, really have a responsibility more than ever now to try and protect uh, the world for him and, and for all of his generation and... The biggest challenge of all is trying to remain human and humble while at the same time writing about what I believe in and what I'm angry about and what I think needs to change. It's a really hard thing to straddle and often the place that you start is really different from the one that you end up in. Um, the first draft of a lot of those songs are, are way too preachy and I'll send them to my manager or whoever or, or my husband will have a listen and, and they'll be like, yeah, I just think that maybe you should tone it <laughs> tone it back a little bit. Um, it kind of sounds a bit high horsey. So um, the process is, yeah, just trying to get yeah, just kind of keep getting lower off that horse <laughs> as the drafts go on. It's really hard though, especially when you feel very strongly about something and or angry about something. And um, sometimes it's very hard to be diplomatic and it's very hard to say it. It's like when you are having an argument with your mom or something, and you know that saying certain things are going to set her off, <laughs> even though you feel like part of you feels like she really just needs to hear the truth. You know that you have to pair, you have to be diplomatic, and you have to say things to her in a way that you know will work with her. So it's kind of the same uh, with writing protest songs. You've got to you've got to try and figure out, I guess, what's going to work for people. And I think it's human nature to just go, "Hang on, I'm you know I'm listening. Music is for pleasure. Music is for enjoyment. Music is to uh, to soothe me. It's not to make me feel bad about myself." Um, so to, to, to write lyrics in a way that can provoke thought without somebody getting offended, without making someone get their back up, without it sounding as though you are trying to tell them that anything that they're doing is wrong. There are so many really, really bad protest songs out there, and it's, re- it's a really hard thing to get right, and I've failed more times than I've succeeded. Um, Especially when writing about the environment, because, you know, trees and earth and it's all such, there's all such daggy topics. <laughs> um, but then, you know, it just comes back to stories and, and trying to humanise the situation because people don't, f- not many people feel, um, you know, emotionally connected to the earth but they'll feel emotionally connected to the people living on that earth and the people affected by the changes in the earth. So I think that it comes down to telling the human stories and making it about us because ultimately I think that that's human nature to, to, to care about how we are on the planet rather than the planet itself, yeah. you know.
0: Um, which leads me to my last question mm-hmm. for you, which I know is connected to in the time that you took out from music, which was a two year period, mm-hmm. obviously really challenging, you did Indigenous Studies and you've been kind of involved in thinking about Reconciliation and in Indigenous Studies for, for a while mm. and um, it's a big question, but do you have any thoughts, a vision of the way forward on this issue of in Indigenous Australia, White Australia, regenerative conversations, what we should be talking about?
2: You know, I just want to hear from more Indigenous Australians. You know, I want them to be up here speaking. I want, I want to hear more Indigenous music. I want to hear more Indigenous stories, more Indigenous... Language. Comedians, yeah, spoken word poets, language, yeah. Um, I feel like so much of the talking is done for them or about them without them. And um, God, so much of it is to do with conversation, and some, and and being face to face with each other, and talking on a human level. You know, we spent a lot of time in um, in Broome in in Western Australia, and there's a a really big Indigenous population there, and everybody's. I mean that there, there absolutely still is a divide, as there is in in most in most places, um, but. You do see um, white, black, working, living next to each other, people hanging out. Just the proximity is enough to, um, to allow a swapping of stories and the ability for us to just see eye to eye and hang out with each other and, and just close that, literally close the gap, <laughs> you know, do you feel in like a you very could, real way. Do you feel like you could write music about it? Sure. I mean, I, I, I could write about anything if, it, if, it, if there was a, a story I felt I could tell. That's, um, that's the only thing with, with me, is I have to feel as though it's my right to tell the story, you know? And, um, and as far as Indigenous Australians go, I, I want them to tell the stories. I think, I think that's the least that we can do, is listen.
0: Missy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you for listening.
1: Thanks for joining us again for the Dumbo Feather podcast. This episode was produced by Beck Fari and me, Jane Nethercote. The music you hear is by the wonderful Dennis Liu. Stay tuned for next month's conversation or you can hear it first by subscribing to the Dumbo Feather podcast on your favourite pod channel. If you've got something to say, please review us on iTunes. I know that's what everyone says, but it really helps us reach more people. Or you can send us an email with feedback or suggestions to hello at dumbofeather.com. In the meantime, you know the drill. For more conversations with extraordinary people, subscribe to Dumbo Feather magazine at dumbofeather.com. We deliver worldwide.
0: This podcast was supported by Bank Australia, Australia's first customer-owned bank. Bank Australia invests in conservation projects and will never invest customers' money in fossil fuels. Where you bank every day makes a difference.